G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Ron Neller. He is a geomorphologist. What is a geomorphologist? We'll find out some more in just a few moments. He is the newest recruit, the newest PhD scientist to join the team at Creation Ministries. Ron focuses on landscape dynamics. 30 years as an environmental scientist in not just Australia, but also overseas, places like Finland and China. And Ron is joining us. Hello, Ron Neller. Welcome along to 2020. Good afternoon, Neil. Ron, you better give give us a little bit of an idea uh, definitions-wise. People are going to be saying, what is a geomorphologist? I know that people who are involved in sort of environmental science will know, but uh, for the rest of us lay people, uh, not so scientifically minded, what is geomorphology? That's a commonly asked question, Neil, to be honest. Um, Geomorphology is essentially the study of the landscape itself. Uh, Geology is the study of the rocks and what underlies, but the actual surface features, the shape of the land, and how it is created in that shape. Uh, So, for example, a geomorphologist will particularly look at uh, river valleys, wind-blown deposits, all those sorts of things, coastal landscapes, essentially the part where humans are interacting with the environment. Uh, so I'll ask questions, how that valley get there? Why does that river do that? How much erosion is occurring, deposition, sediment movement, all those sorts of questions. So I was uh, just reflecting a little earlier when we talk about landscape dynamics. This has nothing to do with your back garden and, uh, no, and uh, no. preparing your landscaping. This is to do with big events Uh, major disasters. We're talking about earthquakes. We're talking about floods. We're talking about the formation of of land, mountain ranges. This is the the really big stuff that you're interested in. Absolutely, yes. uh, It it could be a single valley. It could be a whole continent. Uh, We ask the question, why does it adopt this shape? What drives it? Okay. Now, I want our listeners to feel comfortable to be part of our conversation this hour, opening our talkback lines, 1-800-316-316, because we're going to get a focus on what is known as Noah's Flood and the things that a geomorphologist might see when they look at the environment, when they look at the landscape dynamics, and whether that fits with a biblical pattern. Now, you might like to be part of our conversation. 1-800-316-316 is our number. Now, there's a broad range of things we can talk about. We're going to focus in on Noah's floods and the biblical account of this flood, which is in the biblical history. So you might like to contribute in a whole lot of ways. You might like to pose a question to our guest this hour, and we'll talk about his background in just a few moments. Uh, But what are the biggest issues for you in the creation-evolution debate? How does Noah's flood fit in with your understanding of history? Well, 1-800-316-316. Ron Neller, our guest, geomorphologist. And Ron, this is an interesting thing uh, that some of our listeners will be very 
interested by is the fact that you are not long a Christian, not long having come to a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And for some people listening to a representative of creation ministries, they'll be thinking this guy must be some sort of a giant theologian too. But tell me about your story briefly. Well, that's correct, Neil. I'm uh, quite late to come to Christ. I was about 52, 53 years of age when I fully gave my life to Christ. That didn't mean I didn't get exposed to churches along the way. I had friends and family who all tried to help me along my journey. And um, and so I was a pew warmer in, a, uh, in various churches. And uh, over the years, I, um, I, I just didn't connect. I just didn't see it. I was a scientist. I was logical. I was looking at the landscape. But what what really troubled me over all those years was when I looked at the landscape and the processes that are going on, what creates valleys, how do sand dunes come to be, all of that, I kept seeing youth. I kept seeing uh, limited time frames, not long time frames, not millions of years. Wherever I went, I kept seeing short periods of time in those landscapes. So I began to question that. Okay. Well, 1-800-316-316, our talkback line open, and we're going to be talking a little about Noah's flood. Now, given that Ron is from Creation Ministries, uh, they also have an absolutely fabulous uh, array of resources that you can access. One of those is the Creation Magazine, Ron, and uh, for the first two callers that call through today with a question or with a comment uh, on what we're talking about with regard to Noah's Flood, uh, they'll be able to qualify for a subscription. So a giveaway of subscription to Creation Magazine. Just quickly, uh, your experience with Creation Magazine, you've been a contributor for some time. Um, only a short time, Neil, um, but uh, the Creation Magazine was very influential in my the final stages of my journey of conversion because uh, when, once I started having a look at that magazine, it covered so many diverse topics at a level um, that was really quite family-oriented. And um, so I started passing that around my kids and that sort of thing. Um, but no, it's a great magazine, and, and the first two coming in will get either a digital or print copy of their choice. And, of course, there's a, there's a secondary magazine, too, which is uh, for people who are very scientifically minded, the Correct. journal. The Tell journal. us about that journal quickly. Yes, the journal is a much more – it is a peer-reviewed journal. So it sits there amongst the other academic literature. Um, and so if you are interested in, in quite serious and really um, you know, professional articles written by people with PhDs from all around the world, whether they be astrophysicists, engineers, biologists, it's an incredible journal. And uh, I think what impressed me when I first saw that was that it was peer-reviewed. It's not just an opinion of a scientist. It's actually checked, verified and, and accredited by a team. Okay, we are going to be taking some calls. You might have some questions about the biblical account of Noah's flood. As we get into this discussion, though, talking about Noah's flood, the interesting thing is here, Ron, is that Noah's flood is not necessarily a children's story, although it's the most popular children's book that you might be able to buy, perhaps in a Christian bookstore. Oh, that's correct. And I, I, it's interesting you've raised that. I did work in Kurong bookstores for a number of years and thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was one of our more popular selling items was the Noah flood. All the animals, of course, popping up out of the book were really uh, quite there. But it is much more than a story. It's very foundational. And it's very linked to the whole argument of evolution. And, uh, and uh, so I think that's why there's been a desperate attempt over the years by the evolutionists to separate the flood from their story of evolution. The reality is, and we can talk more about this later, is that the evidence for evolution comes out of the results of the flood. 
Okay, let's talk about the flood. If we talk about the flood as an historic event that happened uh, in the last within the last uh, five to six thousand years, that is something that, as a geomorphologist, you can look at landscapes. You can look at the way that things have formed, uh, not only in places in the Middle East where Noah might have been, but in other places around the world, to actually show that what is there written in the narrative in the Bible actually has real credibility. Absolutely. The the evidence is um, is found all around the world, not just in Mesopotamia. I, in my early days, I heard that it was a local flood. Well, that's quickly dismissed by the fact that the evidence, whether I was drilling in the offshore Hong Kong environment, which I did, or working in the Amazon, the evidence is worldwide uh, when, you, when you get down into the detail and the scientific elements of it. Okay, so for the ordinary person who isn't a scientist, we look around, we see mountain ranges, we see valleys, we see, uh, as you mentioned, uh, sand dunes and things like that. And I guess they're blown around uh, fairly quickly when you talk about historical scales. But when you, when you as a scientist look at these things, you're seeing something a little deeper than perhaps the rest of us are looking at when we look at a beautiful mountain range. Uh, I guess so, because what we're doing is we're trying to unravel how they formed. And so what I look at then is the processes and the mechanism by which all those landscapes formed. And unfortunately, there's a mismatch. Well, not unfortunately, it's very very fortunate. There is a mismatch between what I see and the processes. Current day processes simply cannot account for a whole vast array of landforms that are out there today. Something had to have happened in the past. So we're talking about major events. Major events. Are we talking about uh, things like earthquake activity? as well as this flood activity, because there may be a range of things that have caused the formations. Yeah, well, there was no doubt there was earthquake activity because the Bible actually describes that during the actual flood period. There was an incredible tectonic movement as well. And it's for that reason that you see uh, marine fossils on Mount Everest with the incredible uplift of those mountains following the deposition and and total destruction of the the planet's uh, life forms. Um, So you you see that out there. Uh, But yes, I've chased... I guess part of my history was chasing big floods and I've chased them up to a thousand year events and they just do not change the landscape sufficiently, not even anywhere near what is needed to create our current landscape. So what you're saying is the biggest floods that we might be able to imagine, having seen those things perhaps in our own day, are nothing near the size of the flood that we read about uh, in the Bible. No comparison whatsoever. Okay, so uh, so now when you talk about this, uh, what sort of evidence can you look for to say that this must have been an absolutely uh, worldwide, global, uh, major, catastrophic event? Well, most of my uh, experience lies within the sediments themselves. And people get all intense about the fossils, but they forget the fact that the fossils are actually laid down in sediments. And uh, an interesting uh, uh, publication recently described how fossils were created by asteroids, by uh, predation, even by disease and so on. Not one of the the, the scientists confirmed that it was actually by flood, yet the vast majority of uh, fossils, land-based fossils, are lying in flood deposits. I think part of the problem out there is your biologist is not that familiar with the actual sediments in which the the, uh, fossil is actually lying. Then when you try and account sedimentation rates on the globe, in the oceans, it just doesn't line up. If we have a planet that's over 100 million years old, there should be no landscape left. It should have eroded a long time ago. But the ocean's only, only got a very limited amount of sediment in it. And you ask, where did it go? Well, perhaps it never happened.
Now, let's get a little bit of order to what we're talking about here, because when we talk about a landmass, and then you have the ocean, uh, we're talking about a worldwide flood, a huge amount of water. Uh, You talk about the majority of the fossils actually in the ocean, and then there's an order of how floods develop onto land. That's an interesting point. Well, the um, the arguments you'll see on the websites, for example, is that fossils occur in um, in ocean environments. There's a, there's a lot of uh, marine uh, animals that that uh, were killed at the time, obviously, and fossilized. But that can't happen today. There is no basic way you could create a fossil in the ocean today, simply because they can't be covered by sufficient sediment. Predation gets a hold of them, and and so on. So the very processes that created most fossils, ninety five percent of them have not been witnessed today, even with the thousand-year event. Whatever created them had to be absolutely catastrophic. Okay, and now this is the interesting one for me, because when we talk about the depth of the flood, the order of the fossils, what you say is one of the clinches is that there are fossils on top of very high mountains, and they're actually marine fossils. Correct. Yes, and that, that, the Bible describes that very clearly, that once the, the flood had occurred, there was incredible tectonic activity um, associated with that, with the, uh, the opening up of the earth and so on. And, um, yeah, the, the, you can see it in the sediments. That you, you're talking about sediments sitting at incredible heights today. Now, they're, they're not igneous rocks or metamorphic rocks. They're sedimentary rocks sitting at incredible heights. The entire uh, east coast of Australia, the, the Grand Canyon, they're all sedimentary, essentially, 75% of the planet is, in fact, sedimentary. Okay, so when we talk about sedimentary rocks at the top of high mountain ranges, that is an evidence for the fact that there was an, a worldwide global catastrophic flood event, the same type of flood that we read about in the Bible. With the fossils in them, yes. With the marine fossils in them. It's indicating an incredible tectonic uplift, and it's, as I said, it's part of the, in a sense, the latter stages, perhaps, of the flood. You might like to join our conversation today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. First couple of callers, uh, you'll win a uh, subscription for the Creation uh, Magazine. Uh, You can get some detail about Creation Magazine at creation.com. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Ron Neller, a geomorphologist. We're talking about the flood event that we read about in the Bible called Noah's Flood. Not a children's story, but a story that actually happened in the history of the world. You might have your own contribution to make. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Shelby in Brisbane. Hello, Shelby. Welcome along to 2020. Yeah, Neil, uh, Ron. Uh, mate, it's great to know that um, guys like yourself have um, been doing a lot of the study. Mate, I, I have met, uh, by, the, by the way, um, uh, Commander Jim Irwin, um, who was the first... Uh, um, Mission, uh, I think, Polo 15, who brought back the shiny part of Moonrock, and I've held that, a little bit of that in my hand. But besides that, Commander Irwin, after he retired out of NASA, he went up three times on three missions looking for Noah's Ark. Now, they say it's been found, and there's various different photos on YouTube and, you know, shows the, the imprint of what it's left and different things. But I'm still to believe, you know, that it has actually happened. Maybe you could show a bit of, throw, throw a bit of light on that. They say it was in, at Mount Ararat um, up in the Turkey um, uh, mountains. Um, are you aware of any of this sort of stuff going on? A very good question there. Um, 
It, it is actually something that, uh, being a new Christian, I've been wanting to pursue. But one of the things I did read uh, is through uh, Joseph and uh, other Roman documents is they actually described in the uh, early AD uh, that pilgrimage was actually made up there and they brought back artefacts from the actual site. Now, I can't yeah. confirm that today, uh, but it's actually in Roman documents. Now, the basic uh, pattern, if it's true, is that they were simply uh, tearing the thing apart, basically. Now... Yes. I, I'd have to uh, check that with uh, documents myself. Um, mm. So I can't confirm that for you. I'm sorry. Um, yes. I'm more interested in the in the floods in, in the world than, than, than boats on hills. But uh, no, I think it's a, it's a great question to ask. And um, I, I'd check out some of the early early Roman literature, uh, the AD mm. stuff once. Uh... Yeah. But um, Ron, if I may ask as well, um, in your studies, have you, you've not fully gone to, to check out the study of the flood in that area, uh, sort of thing, you know, from the biblical time of Noah? I've not gone to that area, no, but I've, my, no. My, flood is, my, my flood studies have been in the Amazon, the Arctic, South yeah, China so. Sea, Pacific Ocean. Um, no, so I, I haven't been to Mesopotamia. Libya was probably the closest I got to that. Shelby from Brisbane, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. And I guess there's going to be more reading to do about that issue of finding Noah's Ark. As I understand it, there are a bunch of geologic uh, formations in that area around Mount Ararat that maybe look like the shell of an ark, but actually are just normal natural uh, geologic formations. Is that something you're aware of at all? Yeah, I've done a little bit of reading there, and that's what the geologists can seem to account for most of that. I think the the evidence we do have uh, essentially is is the, is the historical evidence from from records rather than actual on site information. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to join our conversation today, our special guest this hour is Dr. Ron Neller, a geomorphologist. Uh, PhD scientist who joined the team at Creation Ministries. He's the latest recruit to the Creation Ministries stable of fabulous scientists. And uh, he focuses on landscape dynamics. 30 years as an environmental scientist in places, as he mentioned, uh, places like Finland and China and here in Australia and other places around the world. You can be a part of our conversation. You might have a burning question to put to someone who is a geomorphologist when it comes to issues to do with creation and evolution. 1-800-316-316, our number. Give us a call. Our talkback line is open. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, the biblical flood, a significant historical event and a special historical event. If you're interested in getting to grips with the history of the Bible and with what modern theories of evolution might have in comparison, uh, our special guest this hour is Dr. Ron Neller, a geomorphologist, the newest PhD scientist to join the team at Creation Ministries. We're talking through issues this hour, that biblical flood, Noah's flood, and taking your calls on 1-800-316-316. Uh, Ron, let's take another call. Let's hear from Bell in Victoria. Hello, Bell. Welcome along to 2020. G'day, Bell. Hi, it's Beryl. Beryl. Yes. Beryl, sorry, we've got a little uh, typo there. Beryl, what are your thoughts? Uh, just a couple of thoughts. Uh, I was thinking about, um, firstly, I'd say that my comments probably are not highly technical. They're more faith-based. That's uh, okay. I had thought, actually, about the flood this morning because the rainbow has been topically in the news. And for some reason, I thought about the rainbow and I thought about the flood and I thought about it covering the whole earth. And I thought that there have been floods since 
And because the rainbow was a promise that God wouldn't flood the earth again, and I, I, it leads me to believe, faith-based, that um, it did cover the whole earth because of the fact that there had been independent floods since. And I just would like your take, too, on the rainbow as, a, as a, that promise. I agree with you 100%, Beryl. Um, if it was a regional flood or a local flood, um, y- you know, and the rainbow is meant to symbolise no more flooding, then we wouldn't have any flooding at all. Yes. So given the fact that it's a global flood, that's what the promise is, that he will no longer destroy all of humanity. God will not do that again through flooding. And so that's what that represents. I agree with you 100%, Beryl. Yeah, I also have read somewhere that the marine fossils have been found in inland Australia, which seems very unusual find. You'll find marine stuff all over the world in any continent, yeah. really. Uh, you'll, you'll find uh, incredible uh, uh, mammals in the sea, in the Andes, and all over the place. You'll, you'll find those sort of fossils. They've all been pushed up from the ocean floor. Yeah. Beryl, thank you so much for your call. Beryl from Victoria. Interesting, just as we before we take the next call, when we talk about uh, the flood, uh, we talk about the rainbow. And uh, as Beryl has uh, drawn that illusion there, of course, uh, the rainbow symbol has been hijacked uh, for uh, the uh, the whole same-sex marriage issue at the moment. Uh, the homosexual community sort of hijacked that symbol. But this symbolism is very powerful. And when we think of the Noahic covenant, a series of covenants in the Bible, uh, this this covenant that God made after Noah's flood was very important. What are your thoughts on uh, on that covenant, Ron? Oh, I'd agree with you, uh, Neil. Absolutely. Um, what A lot of people don't realize that there is actually a covenant attached to this flood. And there's only seven or eight, depending upon how you actually define those covenants. But a covenant to God is a very powerful, almost legalistic statement. And uh, the new covenant, of course, is the one that most of us are familiar with, but there's the Adamic covenant and so on. And um, I I think once we start questioning that, we're we're entering into some dangerous ground with some of the most powerful promises that God has made to us, uh, almost legalistic. Uh, I think the the rainbow itself, too, is is sending a very strong message. Uh, It's a reminder to us that God can judge sin and he will judge sin again okay well i mean that's an interesting aside to talk about the rainbow because the rainbow is a part of the noahic covenant uh, that covenant that god made after the flood after noah and uh, it's an important symbol and it is a symbol that has been in some ways hijacked uh, by the homosexual community to display this uh, this whole idea about uh, uh, same-sex marriage. You might even have your own uh, thoughts and comments on that, but the interesting thing is the power of covenants, and as Ron, as you say, uh, seven or eight covenants in the Scripture. Mm. The covenants are strong, strong. legally mm. binding uh, agreements that God has made with mankind. So uh, he's not likely to break his side. Uh, we're the ones who tend to break the covenants. But when we talk about the Old Testament, the New Testament, we're talking about covenants. The Old Covenant, the New Covenant. Uh, you might have your own thoughts. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Our talkback line is open. Let's hear from... Uh, Lee in Camerwheel in Queensland. Hello, Lee. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, Neil and Dr. Ron. Lee, what are your thoughts? Do, or do you have a question? Uh, I've got some, I do have a question, and it's kind of based on the fact that at Curramine Beach, where we lived for many years, <clears throat> there are deep deposits of white silica sand. We had to dig down through this sand about 18 feet in the old measurement uh, to, to establish a water supply. 
to our surprise, underneath the white sand was uh, about two feet of uh, decaying organic matter, kind of black, stinking, swampy kind of stuff. And underneath that was beach sand with seashells in it. Uh, I, I just wondered whether that would be something which has come up when God broke open the <clears throat> the waters of the deep to flood the earth and it finished up on top of the sand. I can't think of any other logical reason for Dr. Ron. A good, good question there. Uh, it may actually not be derived from that. It may actually be derived from current uh, processes because with the, the tumultuous period of the flood and the tectonic upheavals and so on, there were also some, uh, there was an ice age following that as well um, and, and changes therefore in, sh- in shoreline uh, behaviour, where the shore sat, what it was made of. And so that particular part of our landscape has been uh, heavily subject to change over the over the recent years. And so it's not uncommon to find um, vegetation decaying matter beneath sand. Um, I did a lot of work on Fraser Island, for example, and there are some large uh, humicrete layers or coffee rock, they call them on the island. Um, Again, uh, so these things are all about where the sand is moving. That is, that is perhaps the most unstable part of the planet is actually that coastal zone. And so in there, some of it may be, you know, relic uh, from, the, from the flood, but it may also be from uh, uh, more current processes. So without visiting you, I'm afraid I, I, I couldn't give you a definitive on that one. Lee, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. one 316 If you'd like to be part of our conversation, Dr. Ron Neller is our guest. He's a geomorphologist. We've got to focus this hour on the biblical flood. one 316 If you have a question or a comment to make, let's hear from Henrik in Dolby in Queensland. Hello, Henrik. Welcome along. Hey, hello. Hi, Henrik. What are your thoughts, uh, or do you have a question? Well, I point the beginning, uh, the beginning of Genesis. I believe everything. You know, God said He created the earth, the universe, the stars, and He created everything in six days. Um, but I know there's a lot of Christians, even here in Dolby, that don't believe in the flood, that it was a full, uh, complete flood. And when you say that uh, God created the world in six days, they actually just believe you. And but God said it was six days, and He said it was twenty-four hour day. So that's what I believe. So that's where I'm going. What I'm saying is that God said, "Is you know, that's what He did, and that's what He did." Henrik, let's get some thoughts from Ron. Ron, a lot of Christians don't believe that God is the Creator in the way that the Bible talks about that history of creation. Uh, I agree. There's a lot of Christians. A lot of churches don't go down that line either. They tend to avoid those issues. You notice that creation and those sort of things aren't often talked about in many churches these days. Um, I think we run a real danger if we don't openly discuss it. And uh, personally, I think uh, 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 there's some incredible outcomes we we don't think through if we reject it. Uh, The moment we start... Uh, in a sense, moving away from God's law, the moment uh, his word, the moment we start moving away from that and not accepting it, we open ourselves up to a whole lot of interpretations that are more earthly and secular. And uh, I, I'm like you, mate. I, I totally trust in God's word. Um, but, but, I, but I do so from two. One is my own faith, but equally I, I trust it from the science that I have seen. And I've roamed the world and I've seen so much. And um, uh, I, I would have to agree with you 100% that uh, it, it is the truth. 
Henrik from Dolby, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Interestingly, Ron, you like to make reference to a word that you call uniformitarianism, this idea that uh, that uh, evolutionary thinking is the prevailing worldview. Everybody just sort of catches on to that and runs with it without a whole lot of thought into what the ramifications of that are and whether or not that's even uh, got elements of truth to it. Uh, correct, yes. I was raised as a uniformitarianism uh, student in the early days, and, and I didn't think anything of it in my undergraduate uh, days. But the moment I got out there into the real landscape and started watching stuff, it's far from uniform. So by uniformitarianism, of course, we're, we're assuming that the processes we see today are the same processes that created the landscape in the past, and it just does not fit. The more we look at the landscape, we more see catastrophic events. And lo and behold, it's only in the last couple of decades there has been a, a very strong shift, even amongst the scientists themselves who are looking plainly at the data to introduce a neo-catastrophism idea now that uniformitarianism is dropping away and people are going, well, there must have been catastrophes, but we're not going to admit to one catastrophe. We'll have lots of catastrophes. Yeah. That'll solve our problem. one 316 You might have a burning question you'd like to ask. Uh, you might also have uh, issues on a whole lot of other different variations uh, to the topic that we're talking about. What are the biggest issues for you when it comes to the creation-evolution debate? How does Noah's flood fit in with your understanding of history? And you might like to also contribute, uh, what are the burning issues for you that cause you to doubt the reliability of the Bible? one 316 Our special guest this hour is Dr. Ron Neller, a geo morphologists from Creation Ministries back with more in just a few moments It's Neil with you 2020 our special guest this hour Dr Ron Neller geomorphologist in other words a PhD scientist with Creation Ministries who's talking today about the issues of the biblical flood how important is this? Uh, 1-800-316-316, our number. You can be part of our conversation. Our talkback line is open. Let's continue to take some calls. John is in Sydney. Hello, John. Welcome along to 2020. Oh, good morning, Neil. And uh, thank you, Ron, for taking the call. Morning, John. What are your um, thoughts? Last this time, Around this time last year, we were out around Ayers Rock and that, and we were looking around the area just to see if we could see any signs of the flood, Noah's flood. And um, we'll just wait. We, we looked at Ayers Rock and we thought, I wonder if that got bowled along and ended up where it is. <laughs> Good question. Uh, I've been out there myself. It's a great site. Um, Ayers Rock is a sedimentary rock. And uh, one of the fascinating things about it is it does have uh, very angular sediments. In other words, it's a result of um, uh, quite a high energy Deposition. In other words, Ayers Rock was deposited um, during a flood, something like that, uh, but the energy level had to be very high. It's not rounded sediments or rounded crystals within that, or, or sorry, sediments within that rock. It's actually quite angular. So it's a very good indication by its very rock structure that it was part of the uh, global flood. Uh, let's yeah. just dwell on that for a yeah. moment. And, and uh, John from Sydney, uh, that's yeah. an interesting thing, isn't it? That, that Ayers Rock or at Uluru. It, it was actually it was actually distributed to Central Australia. Well, it's sedimentary, so yes, they, they're all the global flood, of course, covering the whole Earth is going to deposit those sediments everywhere, whether it's Central <laughs> Australia or in the oceans. But yeah. uh, uh, John uh, from Sydney, did you have something more to say? No, no, that's it, Neil. Just um, yeah, we're just curious on that, and um, yeah, firm believer in uh, in the flood. 
Without a doubt. Fabulous. John, great to hear from you. Thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. Let's hear from Michael in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Michael. Welcome along to 2020. Are you with us, Michael? Michael, you might like to try and call us back. Let's hear from Warren in Esperance in Western Australia. Hello, Warren. Yeah, good day. Um, yeah, I, um, I've been listening here, and my my um, I have no question about the um, the flood and and the creation, but I'm intrigued with Dr. Ron's uh, uh, becoming recently a Christian, and and I ask that question because um, I have a sister-in-law who um, is right into her science, and and you know the hardest thing to um, speak to her about is. Uh, uh, creation because she's just um, deeply entrenched in all the science aspects and I just wonder how Dr. Ron became converted to Christianity with that deep science background a Good question Warren um, Yes it's, it is a very good question because I, I get that question from a number of people who have logic minded or scientifically minded relatives and so on essentially you have to ask them to challenge their own paradigms. How much of what they believe is actually uh, a belief system and um, they have to question that themselves you can't really question them but you can ask strategic questions about it for example with evolution a simple question that might help with the evolution argument is I'd love to know more about evolution can you give me one example of one species changing to another species I'd love to look into it more now the reality is what happens to the scientific mind then is they get all confused because there is no example and so then they have to fall back upon their understanding and their ideas and their paradigms that's exactly what happened to me I began to question uniform materialism I began to question the dating techniques and so on but I had to do it myself and you can help them do that. Okay, that's cool yeah. Okay, thank Good you thank Warren, you. great to hear from you, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today, let's hear from Craig in Underwood, hello Craig Hi guys Craig, what are your thoughts? Um, oh, my thoughts are many and varied and really unimportant, what I'm interested in is finding out yours, okay. uh, well at least your guest speaker anyway. Okay, hit us with a question then all right. Uh, you mentioned not that long ago about that there was, after the flood, an ice age. That's correct. I, I thought they were contradictory theories. Um, the ice age was something put up in opposition to a global flood to try and explain the geographic evidence left by one or other. I didn't know, or I, I personally wasn't aware of them both happening. Uh, uh, happening. So, yeah, that was... Uh, my question is, is good question. Can, good you, question. can you expand on that, please, for me personally? Uh, I, I hope yes. you're brother. Yes, love to. Um, look, the Ice Age, they, they proposed multiple Ice Ages, not, not one Ice Age, but multiple Ice Ages to get away from the flood. The, the reality is an Ice Age did occur. Um, at the at the uh, waning stage of the flood, and, um, and and that essentially got to do with water temperatures in the in the oceans. Uh, most likely, the, the water uh, global water temperatures are a lot higher because of the uh, the opening up of the earth, and and particularly the volcanic activity and the tectonic activity, and so on. And uh, and your land um, temperatures have probably dropped. So it, it did. There was an ice age, and uh, I've seen the evidence out there myself in Finland when I was working in Finland. Um, that doesn't contradict the big flood. It's an actual part of the process of the big flood. But if you then start interpreting that as multiple ice ages over multiple periods of time, then now, yes, you're trying to get away from the flood. Does that answer your question, Craig? What it does is entice me to want to look into it more deeply. 
Uh, absolutely. And um, if you grab a hold of the Answers book out of Creation uh, Ministries, uh, that covers that. And then also have a look on their website. There's, there's a large number of articles on that Ice Age. Craig from Underwood, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. And I guess uh, when you talk about an ice age, because sometimes people uh, have the uh, the impression, uh, uh, from my understanding of what happens from the flood, Noah and then the people who uh, who began to move out from where uh, when the uh, the population continued to rise after with Noah and his family, uh, that the ways that they got to various continents were either by land bridges or by ice bridges. And so that would uh, lend itself to the idea of how people moved to different continents. Correct. It does explain a lot of the actual movement there, is that uh, uh, during that ice age there were land bridges between it, and hence Australia was connected then to New Guinea and so on, and uh, that allowed for movement of animals and uh, and humans as well. Um, so it all fits in beautifully. Taking your calls, 1-800-316-316, our talkback line open. Dr. Ron Neller, our guest, geomorphologist from Creation Ministries. Let's hear from Bell in Mackay. Hello, Bell. Is it, is it Bell? Val, V-A-L. Val, okay. Good on you, Val. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I found that Genesis is absolutely foundational. Um, I got into uh, what, liberal studies, etc., and I found it is a dead end. There are absolutely no answers. But when you take the Bible as the Word of God and you accept the Genesis account, all of it, including the flood, then it all opens up and the answers come. And like, if we don't understand that there was a fall and uh, we don't really understand everything that the cross, um, the cross reversed, that the cross achieved, because what was lost in the fall is regained in the cross. And uh, so if, if you go down the liberal road and you chop out bits of the Bible and explain them away, uh, then you lose, you lose the whole message. Uh, Val, it seems to me, and I'll put this to Ron in in his response, it seems to me that a lot of Christians are very, very easily persuaded to let go of the credibility of the Bible uh, for all sorts of reasons. But what Val is saying is so very powerful. And and what I found is when I took the Bible as the Word of God, it all opened up and the revelations kept coming. And you see that the cross is absolutely reversed the curse. Absolutely, Val, absolutely. And um, no, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Um, I I went through the same process. Once I I came across, uh, gave my life to to, uh, Christ, it it opened it up to me as well. And uh, I suddenly realized that a lot of my previous thinking that was halfway there, halfway not there, suddenly it all became sensible. And I understood finally why the fall occurred. Thank you so much, Val, from Mackay in Queensland, 1-800-316-316, taking calls, talking with Dr. Ron Neller, geomorphologist. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. 2020 on Vision. Dr. Ron Neller, geomorphologist, our guest. Ron, before we take some more calls, let me just ask you about the formation of fossils, because as we talk about uh, the flood and all sorts of catastrophic events, uh, fossil formation needs special conditions. It does, Neil. Very specific conditions. Uh, They include rapid burial. You need to cover it. You need to protect the fossil from predation. And uh, then you need enough sediment to force the water out and compaction. 
Now, sedimentation rates around the world just don't allow for that. I'll give you some examples here. Uh, for example, in the ocean, you're looking at maybe five centimetres deposition over a thousand years. I, I really can't imagine a fish lying there for a thousand years waiting to be covered by sediment for five centimetres deep. No. Uh, it's going to be predated upon and, and just break down. Even in the, in the nearshore environments, and I chase large floods. I chase floods that were up to a thousand year events. And I would record depths of, say, 10 centimetres. Again, not good enough. And even the hurricanes in the USA, they've done a lot of work on all that sediment flushed out in the river systems and burying the landscape and so on. Um, they found, yes, if you look at that, you'll, you'll, you'll see layers and all sorts of things. But the turbation from the plants, the animals, the burrowing animals will remove the top half a metre Within a number, within about two or three years. So, in other words, unless you have over half a meter sediment, which you just don't see, you're not going to have fossil survival. Uh, not fossil survival, fossil creation, to be correct. That's it. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen, and you might have a question on fossils. And uh, running a little short of time now, so let's take some quick calls. Damien is in Heathwood in Queensland. Hello, Damien. Welcome along. Uh, good, good afternoon. Uh, you just quickly want to find out what Dr. Ron's uh, view was on global warming. I mean, it's been pushed in political circles a fair bit. I just wanted to see uh, Dr. Ron's view on global warming. Okay, Dr. Ron. Um, having looked at it, at the, the planet from a, um, in a sense, a geologic point of view, I've seen so much. Uh, change, even from recorded data, um, I've seen long-term records of 200 years go up and down like yo-yos. I would say the court's out at the moment. I don't think there's there's any solid, hard evidence uh, of it. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying, like many fields of science, we just don't have the data. And, and as much as they say they do, they don't. Okay. Damien, thank you so much for your input and important question. Let's hear from Danielle in Bunbury in WA. Hello, Danielle. Hello. Um, or is it Daniel? I'm Daniel? just ringing about the Gondwana land theory. I mean, evolutionists say that, um, say, India broke off from Africa and moved over millions of years to join up with, um, you know, to form the Him Himalayas that joined up with uh, Asia or that area um, to form the Himalayas over millions of years. Um, I don't... What, I, I'm, I believe that what if that was actually all, the Himalayas were already there before the flood and such changes didn't actually occur? And what if, say, Uluru didn't actually come up or get put there as a result of the flood but was actually already there before the flood? Good question. Look, if if the Himalayas were there before the flood, where did the marine fossils come from is my response to that. Uh, they had to have risen up at some stage. And as we've been discussing in this program, those fossils are created under a very specific set of catastrophic conditions. Uh, so they would have had to, yeah, that, that would rise would have had to be another flood prior to that. Um, well, it could have been from the beginning of the, when the earth was first created, the Himalayas could have been there since then. Um, Oh, no doubt there was landscapes around and all that sort of thing. But the nice thing about the uh, India, the example you've given there with India, is is that it actually seems to link in very well with the tectonic movements that the Bible talks about, about the ripping of the fissures of the earth and the uplift. And it actually says there, I think it's in uh, one of the Psalms, uh, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head which Psalm it was, uh, but one of the Psalms talks about the mountains being lifted and the, and, the, and the plains being pushed down and being filled with the waters as the waters drained away. So the Bible's very clear about some incredible tectonic activity. Daniel from Bunbury in WA, thanks so much for your input today. Perhaps time for one more call. Linda is in Brisbane. Hello, Linda. Welcome to 2020. Hello. Um, I just wanted to ask you about the 
Hello, good afternoon. How are we? Very good, Linda. What are your good, thoughts? Linda. Just quickly, I just wanted to agree with that lovely lady from Mackay that um, we have, we believe, if you are a Christian, a true Christian, God's word is truth. And there's no argument with that. And I think, like, when we all come to Christ, we probably doubt a lot of things in the Bible. But the more we read his word and the more we're under good quality um, in discipleship, um, you know, he reveals, the Holy Spirit reveals that all, it's all truth, you know. And I think it's wonderful that there's more and more scientists coming on board debunking evolution and um, with the studies, and, um, and it's fantastic. And I just applaud you, and I, I, I hope that... Um, but you go to universities and you get around to the p- people that really are atheists, that really just are brought up on the evolution tale and that's it. And it's really just a myth, you know. And I, and I thank you very much. And, and again, I thank Vision Radio. But yeah, God's word is the truth and that's full stop for me. <laughs> thank you so much. Very good, Linda. Great to make that point. Uh, and, you know, I was uh, mentioning to Ron just a little earlier, great to talk about these scientific details uh, on other days on this program on 2020, we'll talk about the philosophical dimensions of what it is to know that God is creator, as we did just last week uh, with astrophysicist uh, Professor Frank Studman. A wonderful opportunity there. There are a lot of different dimensions, Ron. Mm. You've got a scientific dimension, and in your area of expertise, uh, this idea of geomorphology and uh, these landscape dynamics, very, very powerful area. And when we put that alongside what all of these other dimensions bring, we're actually reinforcing the truth of the Bible. I agree. Okay, well, 1-800-316-316, there might be time for another call. You might like to uh, to join us. Actually, we're running fairly short of time, so we might not go with any more calls. Uh, let's, uh, let's just uh, draw attention to some of the detail that people can find when they go to the creation.com website. Uh, Ron, 8,000 fully searchable articles on Christianity's answer to evolution. It is a treasure trove. It is, it is. And, and it really helped me in my journey. Okay, and uh, so when you go on to the website, uh, you can do a search. You can find some articles by Dr. Ron Neller. Type in whatever words you like. It's a very powerful search engine I found. Um, So you can type in an author's name. You can type in a topic. You can put in multiple words, and you will get a list of articles uh, from all the various uh, publications, whether it's a journal or magazine or a book, and it'll be page after page. It's an incredible uh, resource. Exciting the number of scientists who are a part of the team at Creation Ministries. You've got another uh, eminent scientist who's coming from Canada to Australia, uh, Dr. Jim Mason. He's going to be here in just a week or two. He is. He'll be speaking down at uh, Madriba. Oh, I can never even say that town, Madriba. Uh, Madriba is it. on the Gold Coast. Sorry for those of you who live there. <laughs> uh, but that'll be on the 5th of uh, next month on a Wednesday. And he's a very entertaining speaker. He's a new nuclear physicist. So again, coming out of the deep sciences, uh, yet he, he, he's, a, he's a firm believer in creation. And he's going to be speaking at various places around the nation? He will. And that, uh, that uh, itinerary is on the Creation uh, Ministries website. And uh, so I know that he's speaking down the Gold Coast area on the 5th. He'll be speaking up about Noosa on about the 7th and, and elsewhere. So if you're looking to get a hold of that, uh, just type in Jim Mason, or, or there's an, actually an events calendar on the site. If you if you uh, look on the site, one of the drop-down boxes is an events calendar, and you'll be able to pick up of all of, all of his various locations. And we'll do our best to get a conversation with Dr. Jim Mason when he is in Australia, and uh, we'll talk about some of those areas and nuclear physics, another one of these scientific 
dimensions, uh, which sheds a whole lot of light on biblical truth and biblical historical reality. And uh, there's a lot of different uh, people with great uh, professional uh, PhD scientific degrees who are able to speak very uh, highly with great authority on these things. Dr. Ron Neller, our guest, geomorphologist. You can get some more details at creation.com and uh, search out some of those uh, fabulous articles that you can find on the site. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ron Neller. My pleasure. If anybody wants information, please email me. I'll be happy to chat. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.